Welcome to Laughing Monkey Music Show. We have Lee John Blackburn. How are you doing today? I'm good. So that was uh, what take three. Am I allowed to say take that? Three. You can say that. You can, you can break the fourth wall. Yeah, this is good. Me, so, we, we've been talking for a while, and and uh, we decided we start the show now. Yeah, we've been we've been just talking and putting the world to rights, I think. And uh, it's because it's it's you know in in the music world. It's almost like everybody's just like long lost friends. You can be more comfortable with somebody who does music than you can be with your own relatives. Well, you know? well, we were talking exactly about this. Whereas you you meet people that are into the same music or into the same kind of cult movies or whatever, and suddenly you've made like a new best friend. And uh, and I I remember I was on holiday like in the south of England. And I was I was meeting an old friend. He lived down there, and we were sat having a beer. And he's got this crazy like rat bike. It looks like something out of Mad Max type of thing. And people would come up and want to take photographs of it. And we just wandered down and started chatting to the the people. And this guy, he was like an older guy, and he had this T-shirt on saying "The Slaughtered Lamb." And I was like, "Dude, I love that T-shirt. What the hell, you know?" And obviously, you got to know the movie. It's American Wealth in London. John yeah. Landers, best movie, as I do, because and yeah, yeah have of course, to. Right? So suddenly, you know, we're in this conversation, and he's in the pub, and like we're there, and and I've made new best friends, you know, and that's kind of how it works, right? It's kind of like it's finding that middle ground, and it's really it's a easy commonality to do that with music, right? And I will add two things. First off, the effects in that movie to me is one of the groundbreaking effects. Wow. Right for back then, especially it still holds. It still holds. It's not cheesy. It still holds. So that I just have to say on an off, off music note because right, everybody go watch yeah. that. I mean, if if any of your listeners or viewers haven't seen American Wealth in London, it's a black comedy. It's it's probably from the early eighties. Uh, go and watch it. It's it's amazing. And when I was a kid, it scared the bejesus out of me. And I think as I grew up, like I had to. Like forced myself to watch it because it was the only thing that terrified me, and so I, you know, it's like one of those things. It's like a car crash; you can't help but look, you know. And uh, and now it's probably one of my. It's in my top ten of great movies of all time. And I made my my partner watch it, and she's like, "Yeah, it's really cool." And you know, there's no CGI, and I'm a, I'm a I hate CGI. Anyone that knows me, um, yeah, well, it really goes it. back to the skill of the craft of making. Special effects, and it's it's really brilliant, and I don't think anyone's really done like that. So I think like when Bram Stoker's Dracula, though, when they redid that at one point in the two thousands, I think they tried yeah, doing the old effects. Oh, really? with I watch, and, yeah, I didn't watch that one. But no, but, but I think he was trying about when you know what I'm saying. Remember the, the 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 effects? They tried to go old school. They're talking about like the mirrors and smoke, and they're trying to yeah. do less CGI. Okay. So so I respected that. Um, so that was yeah. Jaws is mine, and, and guess what? I still can't get in the water. But that's another issue. I've really? talked about that before. Well, that's, if you we watch my shows, you well. know. I mean, Ooh. what a great, great movie that is. Terrified, I mean, even terrified. just I, Peter Benchley, he's a great writer anyway. And, you know, I've read The Deep as well, which I love. And they made a movie yep. in the 80s, which is based in Bermuda and stuff, which isn't great. The book's better, but it's kind of, you know, he's a great writer as well. He's a, he's a fantastic writer. So, and I think that's what lacks. A lot in modern movies is is the writing. You will get them. You will find them. They're hard to find. There, there's so much crap out there. I don't know if it's just me, or if it's me and my partner arguing, what are we going to watch on Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime or whatever? And we're just mm-hmm. scrolling through, scrolling through, scrolling through. And I'm like, no, no. And she's like, you're impossible. And I'm like, no, no. 
Does anyone else? Thirty minutes in, <laughs> it's like it shouldn't be that hard, right? Thirty minutes in, or sometimes you feel like everything looks horrible to you. Like, oh my god, you're watching. You're like, I want, there's like three or four shows you want to watch. And you go, remember that. Next time you go back to watch it, you're like, everything's crap. And then you're yeah. spending 30 minutes looking to watch something when there's so many choices. Now, is it partially because there's so much out there? Maybe. Or is it because you can just see everything now? And before, the distribution of things, like you couldn't see, there's always been about a million books out there, but it wasn't at your fingertips. You had to go to a bookstore and not everybody could be held at a bookstore. Like everything was physical on some level or it was held in a movie theater or it was held in a different media center. I guess it's a good term for now. And you couldn't access it all in front of you and then have to choose then. You had to literally go to just different distribution points yeah. for and it, ma- it made it precious as well, right? It made it precious. Mm-hmm. Like I used to get paid on a Friday, Saturday morning. I was in the city Record spending stores. all my money on records. You know, it was it's the most ridiculous thing, which I've now given away. <laughs> I gave them all like all my final. Oh, come um, on, this is a bad story. Don't tell me that. <laughs> I gave them all to a vintage record store in. Uh, London for for Oxfam and what they do they distribute them correctly at good prices and all the money goes to charities so we have then they're all good that's all good I hate hearing people get about the good records and I'm like I didn't get a stab at that I would have paid you a fair price yeah I mean there was some really great this they were it was some it's a good cause that's different I've kept I've kept some I've still got some vinyl but nowhere near like I had um, but you know, they were just gathering dust and yes, I do love playing records, but some of them, I was just like, really, you know, so they just kind of look cool. And like I said before, I move around a lot. So it was just like, how can I minimalize my life? And, and just, it was very difficult. In fact, I, I think a lot of them, my friends inherited quite a, quite a lot of them. So I go to their house and they, you know, their wives are like, what are all these records? Where are they from? And I'm just like, I say nothing, you know? <laughs> but so, yeah, anyway. I have record. a hard time with that, with records too, because the thing is I'll, now, like I probably have like 300. I have a nice stereo system. My friend gave me like a real nice old one. I got both speakers. But with records and production, we talked about this earlier. So production to me is important. Like, and it can be like, it can be a great band with a crappy production. I won't listen to the album as much. With that being said, and I'm not trying to be an old man because I can be if you listen to me about getting off my lawn or get off my algorithm. It's more about like the sound of production. No one's no one's mixing drums on albums nowadays. So certain albums, I don't. I stopped around the '90s, late '80s, early '90s for most albums because there's some stuff I'll get, but I'm kind of picky about it because if I'm going to go on vinyl and listen to it, I want to hear an album built for vinyl. Yeah. And I've had I had, yeah. I had um I, like I, I enjoyed the Misfits. On a punk level, right? Depends on, you know, because I listen to everything. But I had the Misfits, like a live thing on vinyl. It was untouched. I traded it and got a couple Zappa albums because I'm going to listen to them. Misfits for me on vinyl loud in a club, it's not like to me. And to save it because it's worth something, it's like collect. I don't collect stuff I'm not going to use. So I said, I traded it for something I was going to listen to, but on vinyl. Because the truth is, I, I listen to punk, but to me, the mix didn't have to be a vinyl record <laughs> on a high test. You know what I'm saying? It was not the mix for, for a record player. Well, as you were talking about production and records, I was thinking about all the punk records that I had and how bad the production was, but it gave it more of an element of punk rock, you know? Like the early yes, Metallica, like Killamore Metallica, it's quite raw. It's almost mm-hmm. punky, you know? And it turns out they were big punk rock fans as well as like Guns N' Roses with Appetite Destru- Destruction, right? It was, it was quite a raw record. That's kind of what makes it good on... And I know these days it's been re-digitalized. I'm going to tell you, though, like if you that. listen to Metallica's first one compared to what I had, 
it's rough to listen to on cassette. I'm just going to tell you right now. It was not the, I don't, I forgot what it was, immediate submission and imports, but something was more worth uh, money than it was worth the quality of the recording, maybe in live or whatever it was. It was not something you listen yeah. to all the time, like for quality. Because <laughs> I do like the Misfits yeah. and I would have saved it. I'm not a snob about certain punk sounds. So I've got punk albums too. And in like our metal albums, like Venom, they're just the first couple, they're just raw garage. I, I love that too, but there's a certain production is just, it's almost like against, it's against being on a record player so bad. Certain notes, certain frequencies are just yeah. so the opposite. Yeah. I, I totally get it. Like like early Joy Division or something like that on vinyl, it's just sometimes it's a bit harsh. It's like, okay. But, uh, you know, and that's why they've remixed a lot of these things for, for modern technology, because it just doesn't sit right, you know? It just doesn't sit what's, right. What's interesting is, is um, don't worry, people that are watching, we will talk about guitars in a minute. We're just... We're just becoming best friends. We're gonna play. We're gonna do karate in the garage after, and pull out Chewbacca masks. <laughs> With uh, have you listened to Atmos yet? No. The, um, Apple. So Apple, Apple, and like a lot of like Dweezil's Apple is doing his production. He's gonna do an Atmos, and a lot of people are doing it. I was just talking about Atmos on another show, actually, a producer, because this is the kind of thing. So do you know? Do you know what Atmos yeah. is? Okay. So no, no, no. It's so Atmos is is an immersive um version of of music, which is the rabbit hole like tone chasing on some level so with atmos you kind take of it, like um, what quadraphonic sound was back in the day right right and what you you keep imagining yeah, got really excited bigger. about odd sounds and and it, so, was little, so, it was a bit loud if i remember rightly it, it was so with it it's like so imagine to me what's the basic so say, say steve miller is the easy thing like big air jet airplane right that big song he has whatever it's called i don't know how it's called. yeah so you're sitting down you put your your earbuds or whatever your your thing is and and you're listening to it, and then the part where the plane flies over you, Atmos would have the plane fly from wherever it is, and you'd hear it. Exactly, like exactly. So that's an example yeah. of the sound traveling, and you're going to hear it in spots in production. Like, so Atmos is can be really great. So of course, like anything else, Apple remixes some Atmos into the different mix. So one of the talks I had with the producer, with um, throwing Chris Murphy is what happens is he produces something, and then it gets remixed by somebody else, and someone goes back to listen to it, and it sounds like um, crap because it's not his mix and they think it's his because Apple's not given credit. Also, but the problem is if you type in one of your favorite bands, Apple will have your favorite band in and three of their albums by a similar band that might be hip hop and not rock or vice versa. So they don't even get the names right. of the bands right. So you know it's just going to be a hot mess. Step it back though, that's the sound it does. So like, like Zap is going to start doing all his albums in, in Atmos, which is going to be great, okay. right? Left here behind yeah, you. I think Frank Reznor released uh, The Downward Spiral 5.1. I probably bought it. Yep. I used to buy everything of his and listened to it on my 5.1 system probably twice and went, oh yeah, it's really cool. Maybe it's just another fad. I don't know. Fads seem to go a long way these days. I think it's going to be, here's what I kind of hope. I hope it's going to be kind of a thing. It's going to find a niche for people that are true audiophiles and the artists and producers that are doing it get to do it with their hands and control on it. So it can be a special thing. Or your favorite artist, yeah. I don't think everyone's going to do it. So if you go on Apple and iTunes, there's there's actually areas just set just for different artists and do all different types of music in their in their Atmos. So I went on and I listened to. I'm like, well, first off, it depends what you're going to listen to in Atmos because I'm not going to listen to an artist like The Weeknd. I don't know some, some like I'm not going to dog them, but that's not my thing. But to me, the mix the, of the Blade Runner Atmos. soundtrack or something, the new Blade Runner soundtrack, right? I, I would imagine that would sound amazing. It sounds amazing anyway. There you go. Well, that's my whole point. Like, there's certain things that are not right. going to be. An atmosty thing. It could still sound good if you like the artist, like a Taylor Swift or something. I don't know. I'm not dogging Taylor Swift, but I'm saying, but I don't know what the production is there. I get what it. I can say yeah, is, 
listening to the Beatles in Atmos, you're like, that's kind of fun. It'd be dangerous too, especially especially if you had a smoke, man. <laughs> just like, so, so you, you know what I'm saying? So you're like, you fall in love again. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So to me, and then so like I did, I'm like, everyone's probably going to the pop stuff. I'm like, ooh, it's a, they did um, Beethoven in, in Atmos. Like I'm that guy. Well, because you can hear the strings, you can hear the at, the whole orchestra, which is a whole production once again. Yeah. And you're like, it feels like- oh, you're Yeah, you've got prepared. me intrigued, man. You've totally got me so, intrigued now. Depending on who it is, yeah. the Beach Boys, you know, pet sounds, here's here that. Yeah. Atmos. So there's things yeah. that can be a lot of fun if you really appreciate music. So once again, that could be a deep dive. And then if you're, but the problem is if you're an artist, remember we're talking about doing this thing, like if you recording, if you have the, the little plug in for your guitar and you're playing with a tone, it takes 20 minutes before you record. Imagine, imagine saying, I'm going to write a song now and have some ideas. I'm going to do an Atmos too. You'd never get the song done, right? How long is well, it going to take you? Yeah, it's got, surely it's got to come post-production though, Atmos. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but you'd start I writing with that in mind though, wouldn't you? How it, how it works, you know, knowing, knowing something about production, it, you know, it must come later because you've got to lay the instrumentation, right? So, But if you're writing a song and you know you have the skill and you're doing your own production. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to do the mix. You're going to say, you know what? I want well, this here. Uh, production is used as a creative tool now, isn't it? Like, right. uh, I was watching, um, I think his name is Wood Kid. I don't know. He did some like famous uh, people's music videos or something, but it mm-hmm. turns out he's like an artist as well. And I was watching his stuff and he's like this super talented dude that writes this bizarre cinematic electronic music and it takes it on stage and performs it with all these visuals it's kind of like my dream this guy's living my dream send me his link after too i want to check it out yeah and uh and i was just like wow you know he's incorporating all these these things like really scott does it with music or, or whatever to create tension but he's using the production creatively to create something you right see that's a tool that's another writing tool so exactly. i'm saying so if you're thinking about that that could be a whole other thing because then you're thinking your song like, well, if I have this other options now, what other sound escapes can I add? Just well, it's endless say, now, isn't it? You I know. Could, so go listen this, to it and then come my, back to me. My big problem with with a lot of modern music now is, I guess maybe I'm a bit old school. Where I was massively into tech. I studied engineering and stuff like that, and, and music production. I've written stuff for TV shows and and all that kind of jazz, um, and now. I find nothing better than just sitting with an acoustic guitar, one mic, and that and that's it. You know, the mic is still set there where I was just recording earlier. And, you know, the guitar's not plugged in or anything like that. It's just one mm-hmm. mic, room ambience. And, and, I'm the same way. Oh. I literally just go for recording and stuff and point for track, and I went and learned digital. And tell you what, you know what I was excited about? I saw, um, I'm talking to Stephen Piercy, and I said, Stephen, I said, so you have an interview, and he pulled it out. He has an old, tiny Vox drum machine. And I was so excited to talk yeah. about that because that's it. He writes yeah. basic songs, he's got a guitar, a tiny little drum machine. I mean, he has everything else, but he, but you go back to the simplest parts of the core of a song. That yeah. being said, let's talk about you. I came to you a few years ago, or I can't date, when I started picking up playing guitar late in life. You were one of the people I've gone to. There's you know a handful of people out there that are do a good job. And everyone does it differently, like a podcast. Yeah, everyone I, does it different. Other own approach. Right, but everyone has a different flavor, which is really good because I but I always find myself you're one of the guys I've consistently gone back to and subscribed to. And you're always on my feed and I watch you sometimes, but you know, in the background. Even if I don't have a guitar, I mean like, I thought I was the only crazy person. I appreciate okay? that. 
And we would say, we were saying people. earlier, yeah, I was telling you earlier that people message me uh, and saying that, you know, they, they've been watching me for two years and now they're going to go and buy a guitar. <laughs> I'm like, what? Well, people, I would say, people I think... watch me without a guitar on their lap. I find that fascinating. But yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that, dude. I appreciate well, it. You're welcome. I was saying also, it's kind of funny. Like, I hear your voice. It said I was reading a, reading a response earlier. I was hearing your voice and you're talking. You get the, you get the mortgage treatment, the deepness of your voice, the accent. It's it's very relaxing. It's, it's very calming, and it's very. I think it helps as a teaching because you have a very. It's that I'm I'm sitting with you. I'm, I got patience. I'm learning. This is just fun, type of atmosphere, yeah. and you break down the songs in a very nice way, that's simple, but also smart, you know, and it's a trade off where you got to find a balance of that, you know, because you don't want to talk down. Yeah. It, it, some, sometimes people complain that sometimes I oversimplify, which yeah, of course I do sometimes, and then sometimes I don't. But it just depends on the context of the song, really. And, you know, how I how I approach things is probably very different to how someone that's classically trained would approach a song. And I can only teach how I've learned. And, and because I'm self-taught, um, I didn't have a teacher at all. I've sat down with people in the past, like teachers, and picked up stuff. But I was completely self-taught and not out of a book. I just picked stuff up. And it's kind of like that's how I used to break down songs and back in, you know, sounding like an old man again, I used to sit next to my cassette deck and press rewind and play and just get the bit and then until I had it. And it only occurred to me, I think I didn't buy a guitar tuner or I was bought a guitar tuner by my girlfriend at the time. Her mother bought me one for my birthday. It's like, why? <laughs> but anyway, I ended up with a guitar tuner, probably because I was on stage and I wanted something professional. Yeah. But I, I'd never had a guitar tuner. I've been playing since I was about, you know, 12 or 13. And um, and then I realized, oh, my God, you know, most of the time I was tuned to E flat without knowing. And it, it was just like, it occurred to me for such a long time that no wonder I found it difficult to you know, learn these songs because sometimes they tune in low and I just didn't recognize that. So it's it's just stuff like that that I, I try and take into consideration when I'm teaching something that, you know, you might not have thought of as a, as a listener or a That I agree. And, that's, and I want to say something to this, just to my viewers and to your viewers. I think, you know, what makes me crazy is, is not just bullying on the internet, but people's opinions on the internet. You look other people offer offer a service for, started, for free. Man. No one's making rich off the. I'm not making money off YouTube. You're not making because when you do your stuff, with copyright songs, you're not making money off it. A lot of this is because we love what we do. We're offering what we have, and if that's not for you, then that's fine. But to say you are oversimplifying it, there's a million high technical ones on different things that they can go to, or they could pay for somebody. You're doing what you feel is the best translation to help other people where you were. And someone like me, in, I love exactly. it. In I have to say, in general, ninety nine point nine percent. Right. Well, I'm not saying people are bad. What bad? I, I love I'll it. let you say that. No. However, no. however <laughs> the, the, there are people out there that you know. Most it's of the them. Are, you know, I remember, just I remember seeing an interview with John Mayer, and and he said, you know, I get a lot of hate online. Which, of course, we all get hate online for whatever reason. You just have to. You don't have to do anything to get hate online. And he said, you know, well, probably it's probably some nine year old kid. And if I was to go around his house and knock on his door and say, 
hey, why are you slagging me off? You'd be like, oh my God, John Hayes at my door, I love you. And it's most of the time it's for other reasons. It's they're mm-hmm. feeling bad about themselves. They want attention. They're not feeling, you know, good. We, we're not making them feel good. So when, when you get over that, like, I find the hatred stuff, sometimes I've turned people around, you know, I, I kind of respond, re- reply, and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you replied. And someone only this week come back to me and said, I was one of your haters and, and put on some bad profanities on your page. And I was like, what the, what the hell? And he's like, but I've come back two years later and now I realize you're a great teacher and all this sort of stuff. Thank you. So I was just like, well. That's funny. You, know, you, actually, have, you really, actually have it. You didn't even um, approve your, your comments. And I'll say this. I actually have my set to approve because because if I have an artist on, I'm not so much about people saying about me because I'll actually go back and talk to people and say, hey, you know, talk to them about it. And I've changed things too. But I don't want to just randomly throw in stuff negative about somebody on my page because it's not cool. If you don't yeah. like it, you don't like it. I'll put anything else about the artist, but I don't want people just saying this person sucks. If you hate music, that's one thing. And have hate over music is ridiculous because if you just don't like it, I just play things I don't like. There's nothing I hate about I mean, other groups. There's, I don't listen to um, popular country music, but I love the hell out of some of those guitar players, their talent. But it, overall, the songs aren't mine. Keith Urban is ridiculous on guitar. Not a lot of Keith Urban songs I'd like. But I love his guitar playing. He's got a good voice. It's just not, I wouldn't hate. Well, let me put something into context because, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge metalhead. My, my background is all metal. And then, you know, I'll put a, a track up like by the weekend. So someone that is a big fan of System of Down or whatever, that love my stuff or Metallica, they're like, love your stuff, love your stuff. And then I put on the weekend and they're like, dude, what the F is this? You know, and I'm just <laughs> like, you know, it's just music, man. I can't please everyone. And, uh, and the profan- some of the profanities I do filter. And the other thing I do filter is links. If you want to send me a link, it'll come to me personally. But then you've probably seen it yourself. You get a hell of a lot of spam people now. Trying I to haven't stuff. actually. I've only recently started getting a lot of comments. It almost feels like my audience is um, as I'm a smaller show. I don't even know what your, your numbers are, but like with my my audience, I almost feel like it's like it's a it's an Asian audience, which is very respectful and sits and watches the show <laughs> like a rock concert. They watch it quietly and they're done. They clap and then they leave. But you know they're there because you can see the people been watching it. I'm like, how do I have such big numbers? And I have like, like literally, I'll like you know three thousand views on a video, and I'll have like no comments, and like you know, I'm like fifty likes. Yeah. I'm like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it's it's, it's, it's I, I rarely I rarely comment on 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 videos, but I still watch them. That you like, usually- right? You that's, just watch it. That's the older that's the older dudes, I think, that don't comment. It's the kids that comment like crazy. Right. Well, I think with my show, it's a little different because they're interviews and you're investing like an hour, half hour, an hour, whatever. Plus, and you're talking. Yeah. And it's a different type of concept of what we're doing. You know what I mean? You know, talking like people. It's not it's a new concept, I think. <laughs> with yeah. with your yeah. um but, so the thing is like with songs though, like let's say you do in the weekend, the things I've learned is I play guitar is there are artists that say, like, you grow up, you're like, oh, the Eagles, yeah, you like the songs in the back, but it's like the background or whatever, and it wasn't a big Eagles fan, but I didn't hate them. But you start playing guitar, and you're like, oh, I'm just using an example. Oh, that's how that song was written? That's that's how, like, it was performed on the guitar in the neck? Like, you rediscover how songs are written, and you're like, oh, I get it, on a different level. There are so many artists I well, didn't like to listen yeah. to. But start playing guitar, you're like, oh, I have a different respect for them. Still might not yeah, listen to as much. But... I was waiting for you to say this, and you know, I've taught for nearly 20 years guitar, and I used to go to people's houses. I taught in schools and, and universities. Um, and there was this one lady I used to teach. She was in the 60s. She's still a friend of mine. 
and I started teaching her Paul Weller's Wild Wood. And, you know, it's just I had certain songs that fit certain criteria mm-hmm. that would be good for, for whatever. If you're trying to be introduced to jazz chords, whatever, right? And she was like, I can't stand this song. I can't stand this guy. I'm not going to learn. And I said, look, just, just humor me. It's a couple of chords. Let's just play it, you know? Right. So she did. And, you know, two weeks later, she's like, I love this song. I was so wrong. I absolutely love it. <laughs> and it's just, that's the effect of music. And, and, you know, back in the day, I did some session stuff. And, you know, I played weddings and things like that. And people always got like, can you play this at my wedding? It's my favorite song. I love it. And I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I go away and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I have to learn this song. And it, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not going to mention songs. But I end up falling in love with them because... They were sometimes a challenge for me. And then it's like, oh, actually, this is really cool. And I I fall in love with these songs. And one of those songs was Blackbird by Paul McCartney. Because I was a metalhead, I was like, yeah, I wasn't really into Paul McCartney, whatever. And I learned Blackbird to play. Someone wanted to walk down the aisle to it, right? So I learned to play it. And I just just fell in love with the song, you know? And... uh, yeah, so it happens. It, it happens to me as well. It happens to me. I've there's so many bands of like the Moody Blues or things that I like. You know, I never would have listened to prior. And, and so, so I thought, think, hard. isn't that a great thing? Isn't that a great thing? And so that's kind of my outlook. It's like, right, these are simple songs, but these are great, great, beautiful songs. And I'm sure if people realize they're just three, four chords, they would also fall in love with them as well. So. Which is That's my point of why, why, why I bring it up. You do that. in one genre, you know? I so, love you do that. You know I mean? To me, that's one of the things about your channel that you do that I love that not a lot of people do because I'm not, you're not locked in. You know, you're teaching that way. You're showing different things. It gets yeah. exciting. It's fun. And I find it hard to believe that somebody considers yourself a musician and you, and you start playing other people's music that you can't at least respect them. Like, I hate that group. Yeah, but have you tried playing you know, maybe you're you like softer music, you like jazz. I hate Slipknot. I know, but have you played some some Jim Root guitar? Yeah. You might not like him afterwards, but you'll respect him. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, yeah. so to that point, he also is underrated. But but I don't want, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> but to that point, you know what I'm saying? Like, how could you hate somebody's playing or song if you play the song once and you go, oh, I get it. I, I respect them, but, it's, you know, that's yeah. crazy. Even, other musicians the, do that. Like, even Bob Dylan, we know he wasn't a great singer. We know he wasn't a bad guitar player, but we know he was got like stuck in his kind of genre. Um, but what an amazing songwriter! And, and you know, just a li- little combinations make greatness. You know, and it, it's kind of suddenly I started listening to. I didn't really like Bob Dylan's voice, and then I found ha- found out that he wrote "All Along the Watchtower," that was one of my favorite songs of all time. And I was like, what? And so I started listening to Dylan and, and reading his lyrics and I was like, oh my God, this guy is a freaking genius. And, you know, just as a musician, not just as a guitarist, not as just a singer, as a musician, you know, and, and that's what opens your eyes. And it's the same in art, whether you're into Jackson Pollock or whatever, you know, it's the same in art and film and, and, and all these other things. Sometimes you need things to open your eyes and, and, open your mind to, to different things. I would say, and, and to put a, a bullet on that, I think with 
like Bob Dylan, I enjoy him, but I'm not like a huge Dylan thing, but I've got some some stuff of his and I'll hear it, whatever. It's more of a background thing for me, like a chill thing. Yeah, I'm I've same. always appreciated it. I've appreciated songwriting and stuff, whatever, because it depends on what I'm in. But I've always realized how powerful he is. But like I said, he's not always the best singer, but his songs are always been really good. As I've done this journey of this show, it's just like to me, these musical conversations with a certain artists, you would not believe the conversations I've had of the power of metal and punk bands from the 70s that wouldn't say it at the time, but were influenced strongly by Bob Dylan. Now, if you think about it, if you think about it, the, 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 the vocals were kind of whatever, uh, he did whatever he wanted. They were uh, political or he said what he wanted. He was acoustically loved and then they went electric and everyone got mad at him and he still did it. So he yeah. has been, he is so punk rock. If you really think about it, he's probably the original punk totally, rock. I totally get that. That attitude is I'm going to do what you don't expect. Never apologized. I he could have, that. we just didn't understand it either. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there is like, I can't remember who I saw. I think it was like, it was on the TV. It's like an interview with Ed Sheeran. I can't stand Ed Sheeran. Okay. You know, not, I'm sure he's a lovely person and this, that, and the other, but he was being interviewed and they said, are there some, some songs that you don't like playing? And he's like, of course. You know, I've been playing these songs for 10 years. I can't stand them. And they say, well, do you stop playing them on stage? And he's like, of course not. Because if you go uh, to a gig and, I don't know, you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you go to a Guns N' Roses concert, you want to hear Paradise City, you want to hear Sweet Child of Mine, right? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you feel loose change, right? You feel shortchanged. And it's kind of, I remember seeing the Deftones once and they didn't do like my favorite song or whatever. And I was just like, oh man, you know, I was so disappointed. In fact, I think I saw Clapton and he didn't play Layla. And I was like, wow, man, you know. And it's just, it's just one of those things, right? Doesn't that change us? You've gotten older. Like I realize now if an artist doesn't do it, I don't really care. Like I think what broke me of that was the Black Crows when they went through the phase when they weren't doing any of their songs and they were just doing jams. At first I was like, this sucks. And then I thought about it. I'm like, how much would it suck every day? You go to your job or you do something, that's, whatever you do all the time. And no matter how much you enjoy it, you know, yeah. eat chocolate cake every single day. Yeah. Fifth Maybe year in a row, you're going to want to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say... I've just bought tickets to the Black Rose in October. Enjoy it for me. I I, they were just here last week, and I almost did it, but because of the way COVID is right here, I was on the fence about it. Yeah, a lot. Of I people, literally a lot they just opened here said four days ago, events, and that's in October. So fingers crossed, everything's going to be cool. But there's, yeah, there's a handful of us going already. It's um, supposed to be good, but like I said, I've already got three different sets of tickets. I've already been delayed, or some that are coming up. I'm like, I can't buy another set of tickets and put in this like weird holding pattern. Yeah, I have so many is, shows right now. This is the new world we live in. Well, I agree with you. I wanted to say too. So they are, but they're doing their, their album, which is fun now and it's fresh because they haven't done it in a while. So I'm okay with an artist does what they want to do. I mean, of course I do like to hear some of my favorite songs from them, but I do get how boring it must get. Yeah, to do the same I get stuff. it. I get it. And people that stick to their guns, like we were talking about Bob Dylan, fine, mm-hmm. go for it. I'm just glad I wasn't at the gig. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. It's, yeah, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, I guess it was it was kids like uh, Kurt Cobain that come about. And, you know, obviously I was I was brought up on, you know, Led Zeppelin and Eric Clapton and Pink Floyd and all this. Uh, you know, I had my mother's records. But when I was a kid, I lived with my auntie as well. And her records were kind of like, 
Bob Marley, the Sex Pistols, the Jam, like a lot of um, Black American R and B, you know, Luther Vandross, all these beautiful artists, you know, and and so I had this massive eclectic taste, but you know, so I had all that, and I had all the seventies rock and roll and everything, but in the eighties, we had like Van Halen, we had Joe Satriani, you know, Stevie mm-hmm. Ray Vaughan. Suddenly we had guitarists that were amazing and I didn't have a, a teacher. I was like, oh my God, how I felt about that big. Like I couldn't do what these guys were doing. I just didn't know where to start, right? I couldn't afford lessons. But then Kurt Cobain turned up and this was a guy playing four power chords, screaming, trashing the, the stage like with all this energy. And I was like, Ah, oh, that's it. That's what I love, you know. Suddenly, I didn't have to be like Joe Satriani or whatever, or, or Steve Vai. I didn't have to be that guitar player anymore. I could just be myself. And I think that's the importance of true artists, not just talking about guitarists or singers, true artists being themselves and influencing people like me and to make me feel comfortable in my own skin and like not make me feel like I have to be this amazing musician or I won't be accepted, you know? And now that's why I teach people to learn two songs and you can write a song, uh, two chords rather, and you can go away and write a song and change your life, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure how many people have done that, but... <laughs> I know, <laughs> and I, I think that's perfect. And I know, I think I talked to you forever. I know you have a limited time, but I do want to say, if we could end on, because I could talk to you forever, your... Your, what you're doing now with your music, with your band. If we could just kind of touch on that so people know. Well, my, yeah, so I've played in many bands over the years. And, uh, you know, and my my kind of, my soul brothers, you know, I've had kids and stuff like that. So we live in different parts of the country, but we do try and get together. And um, the writing process is different. So now it's very much, I write a lot of solo stuff, as I have done since the year dot. But what I used to love doing is, is getting into a room with the guys and presenting them with an idea. And then basically they dismantle it and put it back together. And I'd be, I'd hate them. And then <laughs> I'd listen to it years later and go, oh my God, they were so right. This is fantastic. But uh, so, you know, I'm still kind of getting over that. But, you know, we don't have the opportunity to write like we used to, but we still try and do stuff online. So I'll send them some tracks, my bass player or lay down some bass with his amp sounds and everything send it back you know my drummer's got a setup he can send stuff so we're kind of doing stuff like that and then i'm i'm you know just cracking on with my solo stuff as well which these days it's a little bit more acoustic-y so it's not so proggy metally you know and maybe a bit more bluesy i think i've always loved the blues and blues rock that kind of stuff that retro stuff but at the same time as that, I work with another guy, another drummer, Henry Rogers, and we've what we've been trying to do is just get in a room together and and see what comes out. And we're not dismissing any ideas. So we've we've both got a, a, a massive array of influences, um, but we meet in the middle in certain places. So it's very experimental at the moment. And I've released some stuff. There is some stuff out there. Um, you can find some stuff on Instagram and things like that. I haven't published anything yet, probably because of me, probably because, um, you know, it's maybe I think in my mind it's not good enough yet uh, uh, or we haven't evolved yet as, as a team. 
but um, there may be some stuff on the cards and then maybe we might go out and do some shows, but we'll see. It's early, it's early days, yeah. But as far as um, my own stuff, yeah, within the next um, couple of months, I'll probably release another EP or something like that. Good. We'll post it here for you. We'll support you when I come back and talk oh, about it. Oh, great, man. Forever. I appreciate that. I really appreciate yeah, it. I'm not and rushing you on the show because I know you have a little limited time today. And no, no, it's okay. Forever. Well, it's, I just wanted to thank you for inviting me on. And um, yeah, and it's been it's been great to chat with you offline as it has been online. We've had some like I've known you forever. good chats. Yeah. But, um, you know, before before I go, you know, I just want everyone to understand that the whole the whole online uh, lesson thing it's like it's a, it's a passion of mine and I don't get paid and, and if you wanna if you wanna reach out and get in touch for any reason please do and don't be don't be frightened of getting in touch if I I get a ton of emails um, and I can't always get to to everyone but uh, but reach out and and whoever I can help I'll try and help you know and that's kind of how this thing works because. Um, I end up meeting people like yourself and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and everyone that supports me, it's like, it keeps me, it keeps me going. Which by the way, and I will say this by his shirts, he's got some really cool shirts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was kind of, everyone, the problem is I've got some cool shirts, right? But everyone wants the shirt, the baseball shirts that I wear. So the baseball shirts that I wear were custom made and they were super expensive but I'm actually chatting to the guy that owns the company and I'm trying to get him to ship them worldwide because they've got to go to Australia, New Zealand, India, yep. the US. And so the other shop that I use, the Teespring, they don't do these shirts, unfortunately. But I do do other cool shirts. So if you want to support... You do, you do have a lot of cool shirts. And the problem is, I think people don't realize when you do just do a shirt, even if you do the shirt and you get the design to make... For, if, you're doing a, if you're doing something for your show, for, for something to help bring in some revenue, because that's your job and you're... You love it, but you, you know what I mean? If you're doing that, then the cost of the shirt and turnaround, sometimes it's almost a wash where it's like you put, it's like almost a second job or a third job you have to maintain a shirt and you're not making any money off that either. So it's not it's even really supporting you, it's just making more work. So yeah, that's a challenge. I, don't make, I, make, I make maybe 5% from the shirts. Right. I don't make a lot of money from them. Right, anyway. that's what I'm saying. By, it's the like, time by the time we bought the t-shirt, by the time we had them printed, by the time they're shipped, I don't want you guys paying 50 bucks for a t-shirt. So, cause you can, but, but fans you know. should know this, like with you or other people or even bands, like I'm not paying this for a shirt at a concert. Let me tell you, a band has to buy a shirt, pre-step it, get all the sizes, put it in their truck, drive it, pay for the gas, pay for the, the merch person. And then when they get to the venue, the venue takes a percentage of the profit. After all that. Yeah, I know. That's I like the mafia. Years, I did it for years. So, and, so you're yeah. not even making money off the shirt. So a shirt that may cost, 40 bucks they may make you know, two or three bucks off of like yeah. it's not like they're eating caviar in the back of this you know truck the best thing you can do to support any artist these days is turn up if they're doing yeah. a show go and turn up you know and don't, it doesn't hurt to buy a shirt if they're selling stuff it doesn't hurt to buy some things too though <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you or send blank checks just cash in the mail to them to, so. to, to, to lead John Black more cash <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm all up for that. If you want to send me cash, I'm fine with that. Just don't tell the text man. Right. So, yeah, um, dude, it's been it's been a pleasure to talk to you. An absolute pleasure. I don't feel like we've covered nearly enough ground of of what we wanted no, to talk about. We didn't. I don't either. But I know but you got we'll, a schedule. We'll do it again. 
Okay. Absolutely. We'll, we'll make us a thing. All right.